0: I wonder if uh, you've ever gone away on holiday and found it's not what you had expected. Maybe it's better than you expected, or it's worse than you expected. Maybe it's somebody you sort of knew or had an acquaintance of, and, well, you thought you knew them, but as you got to know them properly, you discovered they were completely different from your idea or your expectation. that's great if they're much better than you imagined they were, or it's disappointing if, no, they're not what you imagined them to be. And sometimes that can be true of our ideas of God. What is your view of God? Is it the biblical view or is it not? Many people have their idea of what God is like. People like Voltaire. Voltaire thought God should forgive everyone. That was God's job, forgiving people. But is it? Yes, He is a forgiving God, but He's also a holy God. And a God who can only forgive because of what he did in sending his son Jesus to the cross that first Easter. Because while he is a God who is forgiving, is also God who's holy. And the only way to reconcile those who through Christ's death in our place at Calvary. And forgiveness only belongs to those who put their faith in Jesus and receive him as Lord. When you come to the book of Job, you discover Job had some friends that came along. If you read the following chapters. I read of them there in chapter uh, chapter two. Indeed, they're called Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and they came along when they heard what had happened to Job. And initially, they did the right thing. They just sat there and said nothing because they saw this man's great suffering. What can you say? There's a time to be silent. But then they opened their mouths. And uh, we refer to them as Job's comforters. When we use that term now, we mean they didn't bring much comfort. Because like Voltaire, they had their particular understanding of how God acts. From their idea or their understanding of God, their wrong idea or understanding of God. Let me turn to you to chapter 4 and verse 7 and read a few verses there. Verse 7 of chapter 4, remember, this is them speaking to, to Eliphaz, I think, speaking to Job. Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who ply iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed, and so they go on in that vein. They look at things, and in their understanding, all that has befallen Job, all the sorrows, the loss of his livelihood, his farm, his children, and then are his own health. Is because Job has sinned. He's done A, B, and C, and God has brought upon him X, Y, and Z, as they see it. Job was being punished for his sins. Job was suffering because of what he had done. So Job has done something to warrant this, they say. Now, we know from the start that is not the case. Job honored God who is like Job. God is delighted Job. Know that Job is sinless. We know from the beginning that here Satan is at work, trying to destroy Job and his faith, and God allows Satan to do his work. Perhaps you have ideas a bit like Job's friends. You take a similar approach to God and how he deals with others or yourself. Maybe the idea if I'm good, if I do what's right, God will bless me and do good to me in my business. It's just that that is not the God of the Bible. Indeed, if God treated us according to what we did, and what we deserved. We deserve His condemnation because we are sinners. And sometimes, perhaps often even the good things we do are for sinful, selfish reasons, and not for God. Suffering is what we deserve because we are sinners. And yet God doesn't always punish us. And here's what Jesus said. God sends the rain and the sunshine upon the righteous and the unrighteous. God blesses us when we do good, and days God blesses us when we do not do good. Or David in Psalm 103 says he does not deal with us according to our iniquities. At least not immediately. We may have sins and do sin, but he doesn't immediately punish us for those sins. One day he will if we do not repent. And even as Christians, when we repent, he has punished Jesus in our place. Not as a means of our being forgiven. As uh, David goes on to say in the psalm, God is a God of compassion. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. Or if we turn to Isaiah 55, he says, Therefore, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord for us, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What then about the causes of suffering? Let's think about that for a few minutes. There are many causes or reasons for suffering in the world. The first reason is we think we live in a fallen, fallen, a sinful world. In Genesis, after Adam and Eve ate of the tree, in the Garden of Eden. God decreed the ground would produce thorns and weeds. We'd have to work by the sweat of our brow that woman would suffer on childbirth and so on. And that's why there's disease, there are earthquakes and floods and plane crashes and all these events because we live in a fallen sinful world. A world that one day will be transformed when Christ returns. A world that's waiting for that when there'll be no more earthquakes, no more floods, no more disease, no more death. But not yet. And all the reason, of course, is due to sin or injustice of others. If A man or a company is trying to cut costs, and they don't create the proper maintenance. The result can be fatal for them or for somebody who works for them beginning of the BP Gulf disaster some years ago, trying to cut costs, save money, make money. But lives were lost. There was ecological disaster and so on. Then we simply live in a world where there's injustice. There are people, we're all sinners. But people are wrongly treated. They lose their jobs, they're imprisoned, they're persecuted because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes the suffering we experience is brought upon us by our own actions and sins. Sometimes because we live among a world of sinners. AIDS sometimes is brought upon people because of their sinful lifestyle, but not always. Many, particularly in Africa, have contracted it because of the unfaithfulness of their spouses, their partners. But sometimes, sometimes God brings judgment upon us, brings suffering upon people because He's judging us for our actions. Sometimes we see that in the Bible. God strikes down Herod, for example, or Ahab in the Old Testament, Ahab was given a space, time, after what happens with Jezebel and so on at Naboth by taking Naboth's life and so on, but eventually... God punished, and God took Ahab's life in judgment. You know, it says in the Scripture, be sure your sins will find you out. Some of the reasons for suffering, but here's another reason. It's for God's glory and our holiness and ultimately our happiness. Sometimes God uses it in the case of non-Christians to Make them aware of their need of a Savior. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, and shouts in our pain. He also argues that when things are well, people don't recognize that their lives are on the wrong track. But C.S. Lewis said this. But every man knows that something is wrong when he is being hurt. Something is wrong when he's being hurt. And some God allows suffering to come into our lives because he loves us. He wants us to recognize our need of him and our need of his Savior in Jesus. Here's what Lee Strobel wrote. He wrote that the case for the cross, he indeed didn't believe and he, began to, he wanted to disprove Calvary and the resurrection, and he came to believe it. But he said this, any suffering is worth it if it succeeds in bringing us to Christ and eternal life, the eternal life he offers. Any suffering is worth it if it succeeds in bringing us to Christ and the eternal life he offers. So sometimes God allows suffering to come into our lives as unbelievers to Causes us to stop and be to question. And God is drawing us to himself. I wonder if God speaking in your life in that way at this time. Things aren't going as you had planned. As you had hoped. But is it God speaking? And saying, you need me in your life. You need my son Jesus. But in the case of believers... God uses suffering, Eller, to chastise us. Even as believers, we're still sinners, so we need chastise. Just as parents, we sometimes chastise our children. We still love them, they're still our children. But we chastise them. We do something they shouldn't do or don't do something they should have done for their good because we love them. And sometimes, God, Uses it to draw us closer to himself. Uses it that we might grow in our faith. Someone said grace grows best in winter. I suppose it's a bit like the, the athlete. The athlete, his or her muscles only grow stronger when he or she puts them under pressure and stretches them and goes a further distance. But they grow stronger, faster, and so on. So it is for us as believers. Here's what James says in chapter 5. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. God allowed that in Job's situation to go through great sorrow and hardship and suffering. To make Job a better believer. The show Satan, Satan. Whatever you do, I keep my people in the hollow of my hand. I hold on to them. Isn't that great to know? Whatever trials or troubles will face us in the future, God will be there. When you walk with your child across the road, holding their hands. Is it their grip on you that counts or your grip on them? Hopefully it's your grip on them. Didn't Jesus say, no one will pluck you from my Father's hand? How good to know that. God will hold us in the sorrows and sufferings and trials and God will use them to bless us. Do you remember what Paul spoke about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He talked about this thorn in the flesh. God said, I need a messenger of Satan. God even uses Satan who desires our destruction. But God turns it around to strengthen our faith. So Paul can say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. How can you be strong when you're weak? Because, he says, in my weakness, I have to look to the Lord, His power. I can't cope. I can't do it. When I realize I can't, I turn to Christ. His power, His grace is sufficient. My grace, said God to Paul, is sufficient for you. So Paul says, I will boost in my weaknesses. Someone said this, the bread has to be broken so it can be shared. Flower petals have to be crushed so the fragrance can spread. So likewise, spices have to be crushed so the flavor can spread. I remember, when I was minister over in your Ward in Scotland, uh, we had a retirement. We had two retired ministers in the congregation, one, John, and his wife had worked for years in India there the, the way some of the farmers produced the best oranges was for a time they withheld water from the orange trees and then when they allowed them to get water again they produced the best the sweetest oranges olives have to be crushed to produce oil next picture i think will show that and god likewise has used suffering in the lives of us as believers to produce the best fruit. And so Paul can say say this in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up with us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Because that's what Satan was doing. He was charging, he said, Oh, you know, the only reason Job honors you and serves you and worships you is because you bless him. You blessed his farm, you blessed his family, you put a hedge around him. Take that away. And I bet you, says Satan, he'll soon curse you. And God says, okay. You do what you want, but you can't kill him. And so he brings these readers, the fire from God. And of course they say the fire of God fell from heaven. It wasn't the fire of God, it was Satan that worked. Now God overruled it all, but it was Satan. Who shall bring a charge against God so like as Satan did before God that day regarding Job? It's God who justifies. Who is eating them? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is also interceding for us in our sorrows and suffering and trials. Who's the right hand of God? And then he says this, verse 35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? Persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords Verse 37, no. And all these things that Job experienced and you may experience, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There are times in the Christian life when it might seem like darkness around you. And Job struggled. Job even wished he'd never been born at times. And then there are points of light in that darkness, in those doubts, in those struggles, for example, in Job 19, 25, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And I will see him in the flesh. Hope of resurrection. That he has an advocate who will represent them before God. Later on in chapter 23, he says, he that's God knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Joe begins to see God is proving and refining him. (coughs) Like they take the pig iron, put it in the furnace to produce pure, stronger steel. Or the silversmith again melts the silver to get the purity. He takes the scripts, the the dross away so he can see his reflection. And he gets the pure silver, the precious silver. And God does that in our lives as He did in Job's life. And then we all bring more glory as we learn to delight in Him. And sometimes what suffering does, it reminds us of what counts. Ultimately, it's not the things God gives us that count. It's God Himself. It's having God. It's having a Savior, Jesus. The danger is, we think it's the things, but it must be God. Not your family, not your business, not even your wife, but Jesus. God worked in Job's life. Job, in all his suffering, worshipped God. God has given these things and I thank God for them. And now he's taken them away. But I still have him. Let us praise God, the God who gives us so much and sometimes takes them away to make us better believers and more like himself. Let's unite in prayer. Father, Sometimes we confess we have a view of you that is not biblical, not scriptural, or not helpful. Help us get that biblical view. Yes, you are a God of mercy and love, and you delight to bless us, but sometimes as a father withholds things from his children, withhold things from us, sometimes as a father punishes his children... You punish us or allow us to pass through hardships for a very good reason. Well, maybe we're going through those hardships just now and we can't quite see why or what or where we're going or what the purpose is. Help us in the darkness to trust you. Help us not to trust our feelings which come and which go. We must trust the promises and the words of Jesus and the words of Scripture. And the God who worked in Job's life and in Paul's life and is working in our life, has worked in the year that's gone by and will continue to do so in the year ahead and will never let go until one day we see Him and we are satisfied with seeing Him. Lord, bless us in the year that lies ahead. And glorify your name for Jesus' sake. Amen.